leadership. So leadership, leadership, leadership. I can't stress that enough where I have been, I, I was kind of shocked actually getting out of the military. I just assumed that everyone like, you know, the core values in, in the air force and every branch has their own variant of it. And, and they're, they're basically all the same. That's Air Force physicist Rob Viglione, co-founder Horizon Blockchain Platform, talking about even in the high-tech world of cryptocurrency, success still boils down to good leadership. Coming up next, I'm Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. All veterans deserve a big thanks on Veterans Day. And at Navy Federal Credit Union, every day is Veterans Day. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash veterans. American Forces Travel is a DOD partnership with Priceline and is committed to providing high-quality and best-value travel services to patrons affiliated with the Department of Defense as a way to thank them for their service and dedication to our country. Check out AmericanForcesTravel.com. All right, uh, today we're talking with Air Force veteran Rob Viglione. Rob, you're the co-founder of Horizon, a blockchain platform. Real big in the news these days, really looking forward to hearing all about that. Before we get to talking about that and the company that you co-founded, um, take us back. Tell us what you did in the Air Force. Well, Joe, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, in the Air Force, I, I was actually a physicist and mathematician, which is kind of weird. I actually started off at Army ROTC, and I really wanted to be a tank driver. And the Air Force recruited me. They said I could actually put my physics degree to use. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I was actually coded, coded in as a physicist for Air Force Space Command and uh, as, as a junior officer uh, doing that kind of gig. It really was technical to start. So doing things like literally like orbitology patterns of, of our satellites over you know, different coverage areas around the world. And then it got into more, uh, you know, like software project management, managing teams, managing teams of scientists, engineers. Um, and then my career went from satellites to launch vehicles. And then I transitioned out of active duty and continued supporting the military as a contractor, more on the operational intelligence side of things. Wow. I'm not sure if I've ever met an Air Force physicist. So first time for everything. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, we're, we're fun over beers. <laughs> you, got all, you got all sorts of bar tricks, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, so, um, so you went into, you right at, you had a transition basically right into some contracting. Um, talk about that a little bit as far as the transition aspects go. Yeah. So for me, that was, that was, uh, a really nice, uh, kind of key to my career was going from active duty and not having that shock of completely leaving the military. It was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. So I, I just continued supporting the military and, all in, I, I had about a decade worth of service there. So five years active duty, five years as a contractor. Um, and it was just nice. It, I was I continued to support Air Force Space Command, in particular the Space Missile Acquisition Center in Los Angeles. Um, so that, that was just an easy transition. Or by easy, I mean it, it was something that just made sense. It just felt felt like a you know I, I took off the uniform one day and put on. I can't even say I put it on a suit. <laughs> I didn't wear a suit at all, yeah. but I, I put on uh, civvies and just went to work and yeah, it, it was just a, a smooth transition. 
Yeah, that's interesting. So where did the uh, entrepreneurial bug come from? You know, I, I had I had tinkered probably like most of my life, actually. Everything from as a, as a kid trying to morph my chores into, uh, you know, convincing my parents to pay me more, more of an allowance for doing work around the house. Didn't work out so well. So I, I can't say I was very successful as an entrepreneur, uh, as a kid, but, uh, you know, throughout college, I just c- continued to try to explore different venues. Uh, and it really wasn't until, uh, you know, th- this whole Bitcoin and, and blockchain thing came about that I, I personally, as an entrepreneur, just found my niche and, and just really found something that resonated with what I wanted to do with my life and just what made sense given my background and given the technology path that's going on in this industry. It just clicked. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, like uh, probably six, eight years ago, my son started talking to me about Bitcoin and all that. And I was like, yeah, right. If only I had listened to him. <laughs> if only, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, everything I know about blockchain technology and Bitcoin and crypto and all that it really all almost 90% of it comes from my, my son who's like 22 now. So, um, I, I, I did start investing in Bitcoin and some other, um, crypto and stuff a, a couple three years ago. It seems to be going pretty well so far. So, um, very nice. So how did, tell us about what your initial experience was with crypto and what you thought of it when you first started hearing about it and, and what some of your thoughts and uh, opinions are of crypto. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just be very frank with my, my early engagement with Bitcoin was it was post uh, financial crisis, you know, and, and Bitcoin came about in 2009, the first they call it Genesis block of Bitcoin was mined and it was released into the wild. But that was the time. If you remember back then people were really, uh, there, there was a lot of, there was a big shock in the economy. There was a big shock in the financial system and the response to the, to the shock was really, I mean, just juicing up the, the, the printing presses. And this was something that, you know, I, I viewed as could not be sustainable. Like you can't print trillions of dollars a year and, and not expect there to be problems at some point down the line. But boy, was I wrong. Like that line can extend a long time. So uh, in fact, I, I've, I've uh, since then gained a healthy appreciation for the resilience of the U S monetary system. I think is amazing. <laughs> um, but what, what, it got me into Bitcoin early. It got me looking for alternatives, the alternatives that people kind of naturally go to are like gold, silver, you know, the metals, mm-hmm. buying real estate, things that are just tangible that you just can't print away. Um, Bitcoin was one of them. And it, it wasn't until, so I was stationed in, in Afghanistan for about two years and it was while I was over there that I really got into Bitcoin and I got, I got into Bitcoin in a big way where I started saying like, I want to actually contribute to this Bitcoin economy. That's, that's just being formed now. And what I did was I started holding seminars, uh, for, for troops, for, you know, Afghans, for translators, for different people, just to educate them. What is this new technology? How do you download a wallet? How do you receive Bitcoin? How do you send Bitcoin? How do you, safely store your private keys. Even the idea of private keys was just kind of a, a weird thing. Uh, it still is a weird thing, but back then it was definitely a weird thing. So I, I just started getting involved pretty substantially into the Bitcoin world while I was over there. And then I, I had the opportunity. Well, I really had a choice at the time. So I, my, uh, my post was basically going to transition to an Afghan uh, commando unit. So an ANA commando unit uh, and embed with them. Or I can go back and get my PhD. Like I got into a PhD program and 
I had just got married at the time and I figured it was better for my health to go for a PhD mm-hmm. than to embed with, uh, you know, ANA commando <laughs> commando group. Yeah. So I, uh, I chose that option. I went back for my, my PhD in finance. Uh, and I just had a very understanding of the department that actually let me study Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies from an asset pricing perspective. So that's what I did my, my dissertation work in. Interesting. Okay. So what is your opinion of crypto and, and what's happening these days? I mean, it's, it's in the news, but there's still, I still talk to people every day that don't even know what Bitcoin or, or crypto or blockchain stuff. It, most people still haven't even really heard much about it. Well, I think the key was what you just said previously, that your son was really enthusiastic about it and got you into it, or at least exposed you to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's, that's key. So it's really the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that where crypto is just going to make a lot more sense than traditional ways of doing finance. Um, so like once you're in the world and, and Pandora's box is open, this stuff's not going away. Although the Chinese now are trying to regulate it out of existence, so that's not going to happen, uh, especially because now the U.S. Is, seems to be embracing it. But basically what you have here is an open financial system where once you're in, you realize that the tools are still clunky. So it's not like this is, a, you know, today, like the perfect financial system or alternative financial system. But it, it really is liberating. And when you're in, you realize how much you can do with your own money and how you can control your own finances by, by retaining stuff, And it goes way beyond Bitcoin. It goes into something called decentralized finance as well, DeFi. And really it's an open financial system, one where innovation is happening at the pace of evolution because it's open. It's like open source finance, which is just nuts. So the innovation is going through the roof. The tools are getting better and better by the day. So I would say crypto in general is here to stay. Whether or not you consider this like an alternative monetary system or just like an open source financial system, or something in between, it's here yeah. to stay. I remember when when my son was first trying to explain the concept of cryptocurrency to me, I remember saying this and thinking this. I was like, the biggest problem with that, though, is it's not backed by a stable government. And now, I, now what I say is, the biggest advantage is it's not backed by a stable <laughs> government, Me, meaning the government can't control it. And that's why governments like China are trying to outlaw it uh, because the the government can't control it. Meaning um, there there was, I've heard heard some stories of like Greece and maybe even Italy and some other countries in Europe, when they all went to the Euro that devastated some of the countries that relied on printing new currency every year because they, they no longer controlled the Euro. So they couldn't just print new currency when they wanted to similar concept, but that's why a lot of governments um, are very scared of crypto open source financial networks because they can't control it. They can't just print more money when they need more money. Well, that's such a good point. And I would say that you can judge the character of a government by their response to crypto, because it's the governments where you're, you're in an open free society that the governments are much more tolerant and they're allowing the innovation to proceed in countries that want to control everything like every aspect of everyone's lives. They hate cryptocurrency because this is something that can get them potentially into an open source world and out of, out of their control. Yeah. Now didn't, uh, was it Venezuela that adopted it as their national currency or was it a different Central American country? Yeah. So it was uh, El Salvador recently that that, uh, declared Bitcoin to be the gold tender. But uh, interestingly, Venezuela launched their own cryptocurrency called the the Petro. 
uh, years ago, and it was a complete flop. It was a disaster, <laughs> had zero credibility because you know that the government, they were just going to steal from people. So uh, yeah. it got nowhere. But uh, El Salvador recently actually legalized Bitcoin, or made it a legal tender, not, not even legal, but legal tender. Some people uh, have to accept it in commerce. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Venezuela being the communist country, essentially. <laughs> um, so is El Salvador. And I believe might have even been the president of El Salvador or some key government figure has been to a couple of crypto conferences here in the U.S., right? Have you heard? Have That's you heard exactly right. That? So, so Bukele, the president, mm-hmm. actually announced that, that Bitcoin was going to be legal tender at the Bitcoin Miami conference earlier this year. Oh, that's right. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's really something. So, um, all right, we'll hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I've been a Navy federal credit union member for over 31 years. Back in 1990, during my first few weeks of active duty, one of my fellow Marines told me I had to become a member of Navy federal because they know and understand the military. So I did. And 31 years later, I still have that exact same account. We also now have all of our business accounts with Navy Federal. In honor of Veterans Day, Navy Federal thanks veterans in a meaningful way. They offer resources like Best Careers After Service, Best Cities After Service. They're a top VA home lender. They offer veteran employment assistance partnerships with nonprofits like U.S. Vets. They get the military. At Navy Federal, every day is Veterans Day. You can learn more at NavyFederal.org slash veterans. That's NavyFederal.org slash veterans, insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. AmericanForcesTravel.com is committed to providing high quality and best value travel services to patrons affiliated with the Department of Defense as a way to thank them for their service and dedication to our country. AmericanForcesTravel.com is a DoD partnership with Priceline. Active duty, reserve, veterans, and now even duty civilians can use this restricted website. You'll save money on flights, cars, and hotels. On top of that, travel company commissions go to your service branch to be reinvested into your military community. Check out AmericanForcesTravel.com and see for yourself. Current authorized patrons are all current active duty military, all members of reserve components and National Guard, all retired military, including those in the reserves and National Guard who are retirement eligible, all Medal of Honor recipients, and 100% disabled veterans, all DOD civilians, appropriated funds, and non-appropriated funds, and many more. So next time you go on leave, check out AmericanForcesTravel.com. All right, back talking with Air Force veteran Rob Viglione, co-founder of Horizon, which is a blockchain platform. So, Rob, what I understand about, you hear all these new coins coming out every day um, on my Coinbase app and all that. And there's just new coins on Coinbase now. So a lot of these tokens or coins, they like attach themselves to the Ethereum blockchain. And so anybody can come up with their own coin, I guess. And it's attached to the Ethereum blockchain. That's about what, about all I understand from it is, is that what you guys are doing or you have like your own actual blockchain? Yeah, so we went uh, down down the path of building our own blockchain ecosystem. And in fact, you mentioned Coinbase. We actually had our coin, Zen, Z-E-N, was just, just recently listed on Coinbase a few weeks ago. Awesome. Uh, so we're, we're one of those projects. Uh, we're, we're, you know, uh, one of the top 100 projects in the world in terms of like market market valuation. Um, so again, it's it's all like ticker symbol Zen. You can learn everything about the project if you go look us up on CoinMarketCap. Uh, but we're, we're our own blockchain. And you're right, a lot of projects just go and mint a token on some other blockchain, like Ethereum is the popular one that people do do that on often. 
Um, we're different. So what we are is we, we launched our own blockchain ecosystem. It's basically, you can view us as like uh, the picks and shovels of the industry. So we're, we've built a massive blockchain infrastructure. Uh, it, we don't often get a lot of attention because it's not one of these you know, sexy things to think about infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But basically we have over 45,000 servers around the world running our software. So we have a massive infrastructure. We're the biggest in the industry. Um, and also what our technology does is it makes it easy. And I say easy in quotes, you, just, you use our tools to launch your own blockchain. So you can launch your own public blockchain, uh, disconnected or networked with this entire other ecosystem of blockchains in the horizon ecosystem. And they all share a common cryptocurrency, like kind of a unit of, of uh, value that exchanges like gas across this ecosystem called Zen. Now, these are all programmable blockchains. And then we can really get to the question of, well, why is a blockchain important? What is a blockchain? Because it gets a lot of press these days. Yeah. But really what it is, what a blockchain is, it, it's all about information uh, certainty. If you think about like the core value prop for a blockchain is basically you're publishing information to a public distributed ledger. And really a blockchain is a, is a peer-to-peer database uh, where peers all over the world, anyone could join, run the software, and they're verifying transactions on there. So what you get out of that is whenever you broadcast a transaction, some data to this network, you're, you're getting the certainty that the world is verifying that data and it can't just change. People can't claim that that data doesn't exist, that it was something else that then was actually posted. No, it, it's there, anyone in the world can verify it. And that's really the core of what blockchain technology brings. Okay. <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm into crypto and I'm a believer of it and, and I put putting money in it and all that and it's going well, but I don't completely get what a blockchain is like, and I'm even kind of a computer geek too, but, um, okay. Here's a question. Can blockchains be, get hacked? They could. Yeah. Blockchains could be hacked. In fact, there are applications in particular that run on blockchains, like smart contracts that get hacked all the time. Um, so it, it is rare for an actual blockchain itself, like the core infrastructure to be hacked because these things are open source and they've been battle tested. Like basically, like, like as an example, the Horizon uh, public blockchain is built on technology that forked from the Bitcoin code base, right? So the Bitcoin code base is pretty darn secure. It's been around for a while. It's kind of the, the battle horse of the, the cryptocurrency, the blockchain world. So you can imagine like the core of our code base is actually very secure. Now we've written hundreds of thousands of lines of code on top of that. It's all been audited and all that stuff, but absolutely in theory, blockchains could be hacked just like any other piece of software, which is what they are. But the difference with us is it's all open source. It's all available for the world to verify, to code review, to improve, to find bugs. We also employ uh, third party auditors like software companies whose job is to find bugs. Uh, and we also do lots of other activities to try to get people, partners to, to, uh, you know, uh, battle test the code base. Wow. So what, um, what's the term I'm thinking, the non-fungible NFTs? Yeah. Yeah. Non-fungible tokens. Okay. Cause you mentioned contracts on the, on the blockchain, which is kind of what an NFT is, right? It's like, and it's another thing I don't really understand. <laughs> Again, my son was the first one to mention this to me. It's like NFTs and, and like, even like the NBA, and uh, um, who's the billionaire, the Dallas Mavericks guy? Um, uh, oh, Mark Cuban. Uh, Mark, Mark Cuban. Cuban. Yeah. They've they've totally embraced this whole in a, uh, NFT thing. 
Um, and like, are they, I, I, I still don't quite get what some picture of a funny looking guy. Oh, but it's on the blockchain. Therefore now, now it's worth more money. I, I know we're not really here to talk about NFTs, but it's part of that putting contracts on the blockchain or something like that. Can you explain that? Yeah, totally. So I, I mean, the idea of an NFT, a non-fungible token is basically you have a record of something that exists on a blockchain. At, at its core, that's what it is. It's basically a, a token, non-fungible, so you can't break it up. It's basically like a timestamp, a document in a way that's just published to the world and no one can change it. It's immutable, right? Um, now, what, what it represents is where some of the controversy comes because some of the earliest NFTs actually came about from there was a fun project called CryptoKitties on, on Ethereum, which is basically you have a non-fungible token of a digital cat. Mm -hmm. And there were many of these digital cats that were created. These cats would then go and mate with each other and, cre and create offspring cats. And all of these things were re like immutable records on the blockchain. And it was just a fun game. And that's, that's all it was. But from there, that actually spawned an entire industry now. Well, you can represent art on a blockchain and you could consider the NFT to be like the, um, like a token of authenticity, right? That doesn't change. So you can see the provenance of that piece of artwork from its creation through the, basically the chain of people who have held custody of it. Right. And all of these things are just digital records that are on a blockchain. And then you can think of some of the other like very useful, uh, NFTs or those that represent digital items that are natively digital. So you can think of like your ma a magic sword and a video game, right? Pre-blockchain, pre pre-NFT, you would have um, content creators for video games actually creating, creating these like, digital pieces of artwork or digital items that go into games. And it was really tough for them to prove I created that and for them to participate in royalties from its usage across different video game platforms. Now, because these things are all natively digital and we have immutable records of them with NFTs, then you can actually trace their usage across different video game platforms and you can build into the smart contracts that represent these NFTs royalty agreements. So it, it, in a way, it just completely opens the door for really, number one, anything natively digital. And you can even consider like music to be nat natively digital. So you can create NFTs on soundtracks for a new album that you release. And anytime anyone downloads or listens to your music, you get a cut of, an, uh, of royalties, right? So th there's a whole new world that basically is enabled by being able to just track, like register something in a public digital ledger and track its usage over time. And so the basic concept of that is if, if, if I create a digital picture or a, or a digital piece of music and I immediately put it on the blockchain now anybody out there can verify that I was the first one to put it on the blockchain. And so anybody yeah. tries to pirate my stuff or steal my stuff, they might put it on the blockchain too, but it's going to show that they, they showed up later than I did. That's exactly the right. Of it right there. I was first. That's exactly right. It's like a, like a timestamp server. Okay. Right. So Interesting. that's uh, at the core of blockchain technology. And, and it's confusing sometimes because we talk about like cryptocurrencies. Well, cryptocurrencies are operating on this infrastructure, but the infrastructure itself is the technology stack that has a lot of value. Wow. So let's go back to uh, Horizon uh, specifically. So um, what's one of the main uses that somebody would use your blockchain technology? Like if I wanted to create a coin, I can create a coin using your blockchain instead of the Ethereum blockchain, for example, right? Right. 
Yeah, was, no, is that one of the that's main exactly purposes right. then? Right. So, and well, that's one of the applications. We actually, you can consider Horizon again, like the, this uh, massively scalable blockchain infrastructure. And it, it's really, it's a blockchain, a blockchain system. So basically Ethereum is a single blockchain and you can write smart contracts on that blockchain. But trying to jam all of the world's economic activity through a single blockchain is a point of failure. And in fact, it leads to congestion. It skyrockets uh, fees. So you have to broadcast, you have to pay a fee to broadcast a transaction to any public ledger. And with Ethereum, because it's so popular, it's a victim of its own success and that it's not that scalable. And the fees have just skyrocketed. With us, we have a blockchain of blockchains architecture so that we can host currently a thousand blockchains running in parallel, all networked with each other into this common system. But then like at the core of it, we're actually big privacy technology guys. And this is kind of a whole nother thread that if you're in the crypto world, we can get into a, a lot of the details for your, your, your uh, listeners, but mm-hmm. we're, we're like world leaders in a class of cryptography called zero knowledge cryptography. It's, it's, a, it's a weird, a weird name for classic crypto, but what it enables is really data privacy. And we're big believers that if you're going to scale like the idea of blockchain, which is people publishing information to a public ledger, you have to have strong guarantees of privacy for the data that goes to that public ledger. And here's where we're like one of the world's experts. So we, we've created tools that make data privacy prevalent for the, this public ledger technology. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're a co-founder of Horizon. We got, we're, we're getting close towards the end of our time, but we do have a little bit more time. So talk a little bit about what it's like to be a co-founder and some of the aspects of entrepreneurship and running a business. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, uh, I completely, you can call it locked into it or just kind of like, you know, uh, I was very ignorant back in the day. This was a, supposed to be a PhD or a hobby project for me while I was finishing my PhD and mm-hmm. it turned into something much more than that. So I, I didn't go into it like a traditional founder would where mm-hmm. you say, I have a product idea. It's going to, you know, here's the product market fit. We're going to solve this problem out there. We've tested it and now we're going to build it. No, not at all. This was us in a a big open source community project that said, well, we want to, here's a roadmap. We, we love this technology in particular, the privacy stuff you need. So let's just uh, get people together who are like-minded and launch a project. That's how it started. This was not premeditated at all. And it was, but it just exploded. So we launched in 2017 during a period that just ended up being really dumb luck. Had we launched a year earlier or a year later, I probably wouldn't be here right now with you. So I, it, it was just one of these things where sometimes you just have to roll with the punches and just recognize the environment that unfolds before you and either, you know, dive right in head first or, or back out. And I chose to dive right in. Wow. Um, you're kind of, you, you're kind of a, had a unique military career, um, I always like to ask veterans um, what aspects of being in the military have been helpful to you in the business world or the entrepreneurial world? Leadership. So leadership, leadership, leadership. I can't stress that enough where I I have been, uh, I, I was kind of shocked actually getting out of the military. I just assumed that everyone like, you know, the core values in, in the air force mm-hmm. and every branch has their own variant of it. And, and they're, they're basically all the same. But the idea of, say, like integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do, these are the Air Force core values. And, and to me, or at least they were when I was active duty, um, 
they, they just resonated. And I thought that this is, this is how professionals across the world, across industries behave, but that's not the case. I, in fact, I, I didn't realize how lucky we are in the military to just number one, like have formal training on leadership, but then leadership is just part of your job. It's just part of, you know, who you are, your identity in the military, you're surrounded by strong leaders. And I think the, the military environment just cultivates this by necessity that the civilian world doesn't. And in the civilian world, people read leadership books, they watch, you know, um, you know, people talking about leadership, but they don't get to experience it hands on in the same way we do in the military. So actually, I am a huge proponent of, of grabbing vets to work with. In fact, we have uh, quite, a, quite a strong vet representation. Like my, my other co-founder in Horizon was also was a Navy vet. Uh, my wife's an Air Force vet. Uh, we, we have various team members who are other military veterans. Uh, and it's just fantastic. It's really, I think what it's afforded us is not just the ability to build out a healthy organization where we really do take care of our people, but one where when times get hard, we can deal with it. We can take a beating and just get right back up into the fight. And we've done this over and over, especially in the cryptocurrency world is ridiculously volatile and we get our butts kicked all the time, but we just deal with it and we just keep on going. And that's, that's not something that's common. I, I think outside of the military. Yeah. Outstanding answer. And what I, what I meant by that was even somebody that did what you did in the military were very super high tech, very high skill level, very cerebral type stuff that you're doing at the forefront of everything to make it all happen was leadership and, and you, you nailed, and you hit the nail right on the head. So, um, that was an awesome answer. Um, how do we, how do we find out more about horizon? Yeah. So, I mean, horizon.io is, is our one-stop shop for everything, but we also have a lot of community channels and, and Speaking of leadership, you'll see me and my team just on our community channels, whether it's Discord or Telegram or these other chat groups that we have to interface with our community. It's community first, and you'll just see us there if you want to interact anytime. Just stop on by and, and say hi. Awesome. And in addition to Horizon, the blockchain, the, act, the actual coin or token is, is Zen, Z-E-N. Is that right? Z, yep, Z-E-N, exactly. I, I think one of the best ticker symbols out there. You know, yeah, that's uh, awesome. And I don't, I don't know how much you're willing to, to divulge, but like to get on Coinbase or any of these uh, trading platforms, you guys like had to pay a lot of money to get it on Coinbase. Is that correct? Is no, that no, how it no, works? No. Or? no, no, no. So it, it used to. The industry was much more a wild west um, back in the day years ago, yeah. where your platforms would actually ask you to give them a large amount of money. They, yeah. they call it an integration fee. Uh, not anymore. So now it's really, if you want to get listed on Coinbase, you just have to be a top project. So they're, they're only listing high quality projects. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. All right. So I'd heard some, some folks in the past that other, not necessarily, they weren't really talking about Coinbase specifically because that's one of the most popular, but to get on these other trading platforms, they were paying a lot of money to get put out there. And that was really how you started to get discovered. Yeah. So, I mean, it is true around the world and there are many, basically you can rank uh, the exchanges on quality and you would say maybe Coinbase is like the top highest quality exchange. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and for the highest quality ones, you just need to be a high quality project because it hurts their reputation if they list projects that are not high quality. Now there, mm -hmm. there's a whole, like, especially as you get outside the U S there's a whole like bunch of lower quality exchanges that still try to, you know, I, I would call it extort projects to say, give us a bunch of money and we'll list you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but I mean, we're just not interested in those exchanges anyway. 
Awesome. All right, Rob. Well, um, we're about out of time. I do want to give you the last word. If you're talking to somebody that's uh, getting out of the military or in a transition, looking to start their own business, get, getting into entrepreneurship, what kind of advice comes to mind? Well, what I'd say is, uh, you know, make note of my comments on leadership and use that as your core competitive advantage. So regardless of the skill sets that you've derived from being in the military, just remember it's those soft skills, the leadership skills that I think have the highest value in the marketplace and they translate into any industry. So just be very confident and proud of that and, you know, enjoy the, the next phase of your career. Awesome. All right, Rob, appreciate you sharing your entrepreneurial success story. We look forward to the future success of Horizon. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.